viewpoint and opinion shared on Jerry Unfiltered is a culmination of over 20 years of personal experiential knowledge and research into the unification of science and consciousness known as quantum morphogenetic physics, which is a paradigm-shifting, disruptive science not taught in the mainstream public educational systems. The intention of Jerry Unfiltered is simple, to awaken, to be aware, and to be able to reclaim the original, perpetual life, celestial human potential. special edition of Jerry Unfiltered, the Disclosure Series. I'm your host, Jer Rivera Duhenio, and you know, nine or ten years ago, I shared a very special Christmas gift that the eternal founders race, Iani, had given to humanity uh, back, uh, I think it was in 2001, but I was actually shared this information in 2007. And this gift I want to share with you in commemoration of this holiday season, because it, obviously it means so much to many global cultures. Now, this gift belongs to all celestial humans, indigo, and even hybrid races. And it doesn't matter if you're Jewish, Muslim, Buddhist, Christian, or any type of other faith. This gift is a gift of remembering. And it is a part of our shared heritage from which many of our most sacred celebrations have emerged. Now, you're probably asking, well, what is this gift, Jerry? Well, you know, today... It is uh, actually December 21st. And many people were asking me, hey, Jerry, what are you going to do for the 21st? You know, and I was so caught up with, you know, just transmissions, downloads, work, that I was not even really going to do anything until <laughs> my avatar came in and just gently nudged me and said, you know, in a direct cognition way did you forget and i'm like hmm everyone seems to be doing meditations today even you know we're having uh, some of our group rasha group are having um, or had meditations today all of a sudden i was like oh man today's the first day of the 12 days of christmas and I really wasn't going to do anything today, but I felt compelled and drawn and honored to share this gift, which is called the real Christmas story. And it is a dispensation of historical fact 
surrounding the birth of Jeshua Sananda Melchizedek, also known throughout the world as Jesus or Jeshua 12. And the real Christmas story also has to do with the mass of eternal life Christos, which was directly translated from the eternal original founders CDT plates, which I call the source discs. These are holographic disc recorder uh, containing historical records, not just of the earth, but of the cosmos. You know, and I really had no plans to share this long forgotten gift because I had forgotten it. But so many people were asking me what I was doing and I remembered. And, you know, this is the first day of the 12 days of Christos Mass or Christmas, which is still celebrated by inner earth eternal founders races. It's also uh, celebrated by Sirius B. Maharaji, Azarites, and eternal original founders races everywhere. And when I was first introduced to this, and when I read it, I found an immense gratitude and peace of this real Christmas story. And I'm trusting that in sharing this factual historical record that all of you, too, may feel the same way as I, as I do. Now, in 2008, I was tasked by former Speaker One to review all previous and future workshop recordings and to discern for any distortions. And over the next 12 years, this is what I literally did. And out of that long, arduous process birthed quantum morphogenetic physics and the base 12 biogenesis consciousness coherence system. And I also did, in fact, take a look and discern for any distortions within the real Christmas story. And I can tell you now that there are none. But I know that in, let's say, 2012, uh, when there was the split of the aquifering indigo shield, parts of the story were changed under the direction of the being <laughs> that currently calls herself, well, I'm not going to say it, but you know, I'm sure many of you know who I'm talking about. And this modified story is a distortion of the original eternal life founders Iani version of the Christmas story. So this other, uh, let's say, distorted story that came out in 2012, well, unfortunately, has some major fundamental, fundamental issues and contradictions. And I really won't go into that now because I'm very excited to share with you the real Christmas story. Now, for many of us, you know, we were, we enjoy the Christmas season for many of us, but many of us don't understand that there was the Council of Nicaea, okay, which did an intentional editing and manipulation of the Bible. And they did it for, you know, disinformation, political control dogma purposes. And what I want everyone to understand is unless we understand what parts of the biblical quote unquote baby Jesus story are true, 
the Christ Mass celebration, right, which was, you know, considered holy at one time. Nowadays, if you don't know the true historical factual account, these stories are reduced to nothing more than manipulative fabrications from digress races. So the eternal founders race, Iani, their gift of the real Christmas story was given to us so that they can set the record straight. So we can realize the true meaning of the accurate dates of the holy days that are associated with the baby Jesus story. And through clarification of the historical record pertaining to these times, we can rediscover that Christmas is truly magical. Are you with me? Through revelation of this historical truth of these ancient times, you'll get to better understand the real spirit, meaning, and magic of Christmas. You know, the legacy of Christmas, the winter solstice, and the celebration of the new year are going to be revitalized for you through restoration and remembering of this historical fact. You know, um, when I heard this and I was shared this information, it was a, a really a deep spiritual thing for me at that time. And I'm so excited to share this with you. So, because I know many of you have never even heard of this. So, in honor of the eternal original founders, Iani, and the eternal life principles for which it stands, these next 12 days of Yuletide celebration and their associated traditional spiritual practices, which are long, have been long upheld by the eternal founders race, Iani priests of Ur in inner earth, these 12 days will be officially recognized and sanctified as days of spiritual significance celebrated by the Interdimensional Association of Free Worlds and the Base 12 Rasha Association. Because Christmas is not only a celebration symbolizing the birth of Jesus, okay? It is a celebration of real, authentic, eternal life and the potentiality of awakening our eternal life DNA. So uh, the eternal founders races efforts in this regard are offered in fulfillment of their promise that they made a long time ago to give us back the, our birthright, our heritage of truth and freedom to the eternal guardian races of our planet. Okay, so I want to wish you a happy uh, Christos Mass and a blessed New Year. And we are going to go into the real Christmas story as translated from plate six of the eternal original founders CDT plate recorder disc on December 15th, 2001 by eternal original founders, former speaker one, Ashiana Dean. So we're going to go into the birth of an avatar. So 
long ago on November 22nd, 12 BC, a child was born of natural conception to Melchizedek Cloister Essenes, Judy and Johias, in the private dwelling of Benjamin, which was later mistranslated as Benjamin, and this took place on the outskirts of the city of Bethlehem in the land known as Israel. Now, the infant's father, Johias, was a Hebrew cloister Essene Melchizedek Rabbi, which is a second-level Melchizedek cloister ordinate priest. And he was a descendant from the house of King Solomon, son of King David. Now, for those of you that don't know, Solomon was the son of Father King David of the Hyksos Leviathan, Moses, Abraham, Noah, Knights Templar, Illuminati line, and mother Bathsheba, who was a Saris Egyptian Essene of the Melchizedek Cloister Indigo Maji Grail line. The Indigo Grail line was carried into the Hyksos Illuminati line through conception of Solomon. And this was done for the purpose of attempted eternal original founders quote-unquote redemption contract biogenesis of the fallen hybrid Hyksos lineage. Now, this race redemption contract failed in 27 AD when the Hyksos and their Palladian Niburian Anunnaki sponsors fully withdrew, they reneged from the eternal original founders to enter the Atlantean Luciferian covenant. Both Indigo and Hyksos lines directly descended from Atlantis. Now, Judy, the infant's mother, was a Hebrew Essene Melchizedek cloister regent, which means she was third level Melchizedek cloister ordinate priest. So Judy, or Judai, was a descendant from the house of Constantine. Now, Judy's father was Raviticus, who was of Roman uh, Constantinus Ionite, Attila, human, tribe five descendant mother, who Hebronon was of Hebrew Essene Melchizedek cloister indigo rail line descent. That's a mouthful. Most of this lineage, though, fell to Omicron and Draconian control following 27 AD Essene divide. Okay? So, the house of Johias was located in the city, which was known as uh, in Bethlehem Commons. Okay, so just after conception, when the couple was showed in a vision that Judy or Judai was with Avatar Child, Johias took Judy into hiding in Jerusalem, where she remained with. Essene Melchizedek cloister relatives until just prior to the infant's birth. So, Judai, 
was exiled to Jerusalem, to Jerusalem during her time of waiting to prevent the Sadducees and Pharisees, Illuminati, overseeing Bethlehem from discovering the prophesied avatar birth. Now, who were the Sadducees? The Sadducees were uh, Nomicron or Necromitan, <laughs> Necromitan, Andromi sponsored Towson King Leviathan Illuminati line that raided Hebrew tribe to indigo grail line. The Pharisees were an Omicron draconian sponsored dragon king Leviathan Illuminati line that literally raided uh, Hebrew cloister tribe two lines. So the Sadducees and the Pharisees were never, you know, depicted this way in the Bible, right? But they literally came from, you know, let's say, off-planet influence. So, Judy, or Judai, returned to the house of Ben-Yumen on the outskirts of Bethlehem on November 16th, 12 BC, riding by night upon a donkey provided by her 11-year-old escort, Emmanuel. Now, Emmanuel was the son of Ben-Yumen. Judai remained in hiding in the house of Ben-Yumen until the birth of the Avatar child. The Avatar child was born on November 22, 12 BC at 12.14 a.m. And this birth was attended by uh, Saradi, who was the half-sister of Judai, and wife of Ben-Yumen, Mary Jedra, daughter of Saradi and Ben-Yumen. Emmanuel, brother of uh, Mary Jedra, and the Melchizedek cloister high priest that later became known as John the Baptist. So for those of you that think that July 24th is still Jesus's birthday, I have disruptive <laughs> paradigm shifting news for you. Uh, <laughs> Joshua 12's birthday is November 22nd not December 24th. Okay. So the next I'm going to talk about is known as the Ecotic Trinity and the Eternal Life Christos Seeding Mission and the meaning of 1212. So prior to physical birth, the indigo child type one avatar Essene infant and is Essene avatar twin Marahari, later changed to Mary, were, like John the Baptist and his avatar avatar twin, Mary Jedra, and the Indian Essene Emmanuel and his avatar twin, Ashradari, before them, Melchizedek Cloister Eckars. Now, this is 48-strand DNA template, level 6 Melchizedek Cloister ordinate ascended masters okay so these are what ekars are now like all magi indigo grail line incarnates before and after them all were born as members of melchizedek cloister ecotic twin consummate pairs through 
the Sirius B. Maharaji Council of Azorline Halls of Amaraya Passage. Now, one DNA-activated ecotic twin consummate pair represents one fully incarnate Ikari. That's capital E-C-K-A-R-I. The birth of Judai's avatar child on November 22nd, 12 BC, and earlier, his female avatar, Ikatic twin, Marahari, on June 21st, 13 BC, both earlier prophesied, okay, so John the Baptist prophesied this, these two represented the early incarnation of what's known as the third Ikari in the Emerald Order Ascended Master Trinity. The three Ikaris, remember, there is that's three Ikatic twin pairs, so that's six of them, okay? These three Ikaris all incarnated together at this time as they had done before. You know, um, they came prior uh, before and they failed. Uh, this was the 22-32-6 BC stellar activation cycle, okay? And they birthed at this time to complete a portion of the eternal original founder's race, planetary eternal life, Christos realignment mission in preparation for the scheduled stellar activation cycle that took place from 2000 to 2017 AD. Now, for those of you that follow any type of comic or fantasy, this story with the three Ikaris, the three Ikatic twin pairs, this story was actually told in that movie Hancock. There was a movie, there was a movie called Hancock with Will Smith, and he was um, a superhero that birthed in with a twin pair. All right, he birthed in with his his twin. And there were actually several pairs of them. And uh, some movies like that, that, um, you know, I don't know how they came up with this story, but, you know, they're telling uh, a superhero version of this story. Okay? Now, back to the real Christmas story. Each of the six Eckars carried the Arayazurta Tribe 12 DNA template coding from their previous Tribe 12 incarnations from Atlantis and Lemuria. The first Ikari twin pair, John the Baptist and Mary Jedra, they collectively carried the mathematical programs of the Triveka, Duveka, Daveka, and Raveka Hiveka codes in their Ikatic twin DNA template. Now, for those of you that don't know, with the Triveka, Kuveka, Daveka, and Raveka, Hiveka codes, these are these are eternal life sacred codes. This is not even this is way past sacred geometry. And for those of you that want to know more about it, you can email me, uh, and I will share with you uh, the flame body activations, which. Uh, you would literally uh, engage with these codes. Uh, 
So uh, now, obviously, you know, you've heard of John the Baptist. He was known as Jonas, okay? This is the Greek form of John. And Jonas, or John the Baptist, was born in Rome on December 24, uh, 21st, excuse me, today, tonight, in 46 BC, to Greek Roman father, uh, Pagenthus, uh, descendant, uh, who was a descendant from the Roman house of Romulus tribe five indigo gray line. And John the Baptist's mother was Miriam of the Hebrew Essene Melchizedek cloister tribe two indigo gray line. And, uh, they were exiled on Paxos Island, Greece. Now, Mary Jedra, who was John the Baptist's twin, was the daughter of Judai's paternal half-sister, Saradai. And uh, Mary Jedra was born in Jerusalem on September 1st, 34 BC, to Melchizedek Cloister Essene, Cyrus, Egyptian tribe four, indigo gray line father, Ben Newman and Indian Essene Roman mother Saradai, a father Reviticus of the Roman Constantinus Unite uh, Attila Tribe Five Indigo Grail Line descent, and mother Empatel of Ramavita Tribe Six Indigo Grail Line India. Man, that is a mouthful. Now. That's the first Ikari twin pair. The second Ikari twin pair was Emmanuel and Ashradari, and they collectively carried the Ikasha crown Vekka code in their Ikatic twin DNA template. Now, Emmanuel was born in Bethlehem on January 1st, 23 BC, as Mary Jedra's younger brother, to Ben Newman and Saradai. Ashradari was born in the Thar Desert region of India on February 2nd, 14 BC, to father Ramyana and mother Ramak Junanda of the Indian Ramvita Tribe 6 Indigo Grail line. The infant avatar born to Judai and Johias on November 22nd, 12 BC, and his Ikari twin, Mara Hari, they each carried the D12 Prematter Eternal Life by Vekka Code in their Ikatic twin DNA templates. Now, Mara Hari was born in Magdala, Palestine, on June 21st, 13 BC, to Father Muhammad of the Hebrew Cloister Tribe 10 Indigo Grail Line and Greek Hebrew Essene Melchizedek Cloister Mother Ron Atheramus of the Tribe 2 Indigo Grail Line. The three Ikaris, that is three males and three females, okay? Three males and three females forming three Ikatic twin pairs. They incarnated together as an ecotic trinity under the Elohai Elohim Eternal Life Founders Original Founders Commission. They had a shared purpose now, and that shared purpose was to re implant or reseed the VECA code 
mathematical programs into Earth's planetary shields in preparation for the 2000 AD to 2017 activation of what's known as the Four Faces of Man Alpin system from 22,326 BC. The three Ikaris were the primary frequency carriers of the 144,000 incarnate grail line indigos who were collectively serving as appointed Emerald Order guardians of Earth's Templar during this Christ period. Now, since the Eternal Founders race, uh, also known as the Iani, since the Iani massacre of the failed 22-32-6 BC stellar activation cycle, these three Ikaris, whom had were in charge of the failed Eternal Life Christos realignment mission of 22-32-326 BC, so it's 22,000. 326 BC, they had agreed to repeatedly incarnate thereafter until the intended December 21st, 2012 completion of the Eternal Life Realignment Mission. Now, through their repeated incarnations as a set of three ecotic twin pairs, the High Vecca Code Trion Miyaj field programs would be progressively re-entered into Earth's grids through dispensation of the high VECA codes via the Eckhart's DNA templates during their numerous lifetimes. The Ikari served to anchor the high VECA frequencies into Earth's Templar and transmit them into the DNA templates of the 144,000 Team Indigo Incarnates. Team Indigo Incarnates then downstep the high VECA frequencies and transmit them into the DNA template, which is also the tribal shield level of the celestial human 12 tribe races. Now, through repeated incarnations of the Ikaris and their Indigo Grail Line team, which many of us are part of, the High Vecca Code programs corresponding to the planetary Templar of Earth, Inner Earth, and Parallel Earth would reach critical mass imprinting in Earth's Templar and the human race morphogenetic field. Once the High Vecca Code programs were reseeded in Earth's Templar, the L-pin and A-pin systems of the Eternal Founders races Elohai Elohim, Seraphai Seraphim, and the Braharama Eternal Founders races could be activated during the next stellar activation cycle. Now, activation of the Eternal Founders race, Four Faces of Man, Elpin, and the Elohai's Great White Lion, the Seraphai's Golden Eagle, and the Braharama's Blue Oxen A-pin systems during the 2000 and 2000 to 2017 stellar activation cycle, uh, this would allow for the eternal life awakening on Earth and Earth's final fulfillment of the planetary eternal life Christos realignment mission 
Planetary Maharak Seal, and Planetary Mahanta Merkaba. The, the female Eckars, okay, they carry the base magnetic, and the male Eckars, the base electrical portions of the Tri, Ku, Da, Ra, and Ikasha Hiveka codes to which they were commissioned. The full D12 Biveka code was carried by both male and female Eckars assigned to its commission. Now, the Hiveka code programs would enter Earth's planetary shields from the DNA templates of the Eckars when each Eckar received their equivalent level of Melchizedek cloister ordination and resultant corresponding DNA template activation from the inner earth Iani priests of Ur. The twin pair carrying the Ikasha crown Veka required full level 6 Melchizedek cloister Ekar ordination and temporary activation of the 48 strands of their DNA templates in order to transmit the Ikasha code which was the planetary god seed code, into Earth's Templar. Now, Templar is Temple Stargate System. Are you with me? It's not a, you know, it's not some church or some, you know, house. Templar means Temple Stargate System. Now, the twin pair carrying the primal light and sound field Trion Miaj Hiveka, which is the Tri, uh, the Tri, Ra, Da, and Kuveka codes, this also required level six Ekar ordination and also temporary activation of their 48 strand DNA templates. Now, the twin pair carrying the D12 Prematter Eternal Life Divine Blueprint by Veka code. That required a level three region ordination only, through which only 12 of their 48 strand templates would be brought into activation to release the D12 Biveka code program. Now, the Biveka code is the high Veka code through which the D12 Maharata eternal life, liquid light, primal life force current can run in Earth's Templar as the carrier wave for the higher frequency primal light and sound currents associated with the high Veka codes above it. Though the third Eckar pair would only activate their DNA templates to the 12-strand level to become Melchizedek cloister, cloister regents, their mission was equally as essential um, as, you know, and uh, it was, you know, just because they only activated 12 strands versus the 48 strands, their mission was equally as essential and their ascended master status equal to, they were equal to the first and second Eckar twin pairs that had their 48 strand DNA template activation. The three Ekotic twin pairs functioned as an interdependent team.
Now, since the D12 frequency could not run through Earth's planetary shields since the fall of Brenau in 208,216 BC, the Eckhart twin pairs could not receive their required level of DNA template activation and MC ordination on surface Earth as the D12 frequency was necessary to initiate these DNA template activations. We're lucky because since 2000, the D12 frequencies were anchored on this planet. But back then, the D12 frequencies were not able to anchor in Earth's grids. So therefore, at you know different times, each of the six Ekar avatars that comprised the three Ikari, Ikatic twin pairs, were to be individually brought to the Ark of the Covenant Andromeda portal passage, which anchored into Earth Templar at Planetary Stargate 4, Giza, Egypt, so that they can receive their DNA template activations. So while positioning while positioned within the Ark of the Covenant passage, the D12 frequency could be drawn from the D12 Amorea passage to activate the DNA template. Now, from the Ark of the Covenant passage, the dormant high VECA code programs held by the avatars could then be transmitted into Earth's Templar. The high VECA code programs would be projected into Earth's planetary shields from the Ark of the Covenant at Giza to Stargate 12 and its Q site, which is uh, Montségur, France, and Lemuria, Kauai, Hawaii, in Earth's Templar. Now, at the 1212 sites, these are the 1212 sites, the Stargate 12 and the Q site 12, that's Montségur, France, and Lemuria, Kauai, Hawaii. At these 1212 sites, the high VECA codes would be held dormant until they could fully activate on a D12 base 12 code pulse during the 2000 AD to 2017 AD stellar activation cycle when it first commenced and at which time they would be directed throughout Earth Templar via the sacred uh, uh, roundtable mechanics to activate the four faces of man, L-pin, and founders A-pin systems. Now, the Christ period drama is known as the Christos seeding mission by the eternal original founders race. The founders intended fulfillment of two objectives during this period of earth time. The first objective was to reseed the high Vecca uh, mathematical programs into earth's Templar through the commission births and temporary DNA activation of the six Ekar, Ekars. Now this objective was fulfilled during the 46 BC to 37 AD Christ period. Okay, now there's a lot of vocabulary that you may not be 
used to, and that's the A pin, L pin. So let's go into this just very briefly. So the A pin is known as the Atlantean Pylon Implant Network, all right? So these are advanced crystalline microchip technologies of the ancient Atlantean and Lemurian systems that were implanted on Earth template during various periods of Atlantis slash Lemuria. Now, there were different A-pin systems, right? You have the Dove A-pin, you have the Falcon. So these names like Dove and Falcon, etc., denotes the shape of its primary grid when it's viewed from above, right, from the sky with photo, uh, radionic, or scalar equipment. These names represented literal aerial maps of the digress races or the intruder ET control networks that were placed in Earth's Templar attempting to fulfill the Jehovian Anunnaki one world order agenda during the earlier Atlantean period, okay? The L-PIN stands for the Lemurian Pylon Implant Network. So these A-PIN slash L-PIN technology systems, they can be compared to massive global grid systems made of strategically placed crystalline microchips, similar to uh, silicon-based microchips used in our conventional computer technologies. And these crystalline microchips uh, interface directly with the natural multidimensional electromagnetic energy conduits of, say, stargates, axiotonal, and ley line systems that were organic to Earth Templars. Now, A-pin, L-pin technology, it's not intrinsically a negative technology, but rather an environmentally valid application of the natural, spiritual, and scientific laws of first creation physics. Before these technologies, you know, they fell into the hands of the digressed races or the fallen angelic races, before this, they were used openly by various guardian eternal life races in many universal systems to facilitate and enhance the experience of evolution and for most ascension for all. These eternal life guardian races utilized A-pin systems for everything from free energy to climate stabilization, healing, uh, even to interstellar subspace communication and broadcast networks. But after the Luciferian Rebellion during the 25,500 BC time period, unfortunately, these A-pin systems were used, they were activated and used uh, as tools of territorial dominion by various intruder ET factions throughout the Atlantean period. Okay? So, let's go to the Christ period stalemate and the 1111. Now, 
Remember I talked about the first objective of the founders was to reseed the High Vecca mathematical program into Earth Templar. And this was uh, fulfilled in the 46 BC to 37 AD Christ period. Well, the founder's second intended objective in the Christ period drama was to release the Niburian Anunnaki's force hold over Earth. And they wanted to do this by disengaging the connection between the Niburian dyadic crystal grid, right? Which was found, which is found at Stonehenge, England. And they wanted to disengage this from the Niburian battle star Wormwood. Now, Wormwood is found out, you know, you can Google and <laughs> research Wormwood. And um, since 22,326 BC, Anunnaki races had been using the Niburian dyadic crystal grid. We call it the checkerboard matrix. And they would use this NDC grid or checkerboard matrix to erode the original high Vecca code programs in Earth's planetary shields, which would then prevent activation of the eternal uh, original founders' Elpin Apin systems that were needed for fulfillment of the Eternal Life Christos realignment mission. So, in this Christ period, the High Vecca codes were to be reseeded in Earth grids and the NDC grid program manually disengaged to prepare Earth for. What passed was the 2000 to 2017 stellar activation cycle and eternal life realignment mission. Now, control of Nibiru fell into the hands of the Marduk Dramin and the Necromitan and Andromi Nephilim Draconian Agenda Anunnaki legions in 48 BC. Okay? Um, the deposed and repressed Niberian and Palladian Luciferian Anunnaki races of the Galactic Federation, they reluctantly agreed to suspend their intended Luciferian Covenant One World Order Dominion agenda so that they can enter the original Eternal Life Founders Race uh, Agreement if the founders would assist them in reclaiming Nibiru. So just like in any race, there's you have the good and you have the not so good. So even in uh, the Anunnaki race uh, and on their planet Nibiru, there were fighting factions. And one of the factions, the Anunnaki uh, race, known as the Galactic Federation. So for those of you that are channeling the Galactic Federation, you are channeling <laughs> Niberian, Palladian, Luciferian, Luciferian Anunnaki races. Okay, it's not your fault, but now you know. So the Galactic Federation, they wanted assistance from the original founders races. So they wanted the original founders races to help reclaim Nibiru from the um, Marduk Dramin and Necromatron Andromi Nephilim Draconian Agenda. Now, this agreement 
included an attempted biogenesis redemption contract for the Palladian Niberian earthly Hyksos Knights Templar Leviathan hybrid Illuminati race line. So what happened was a ninth level avatar called Jeshua 9, he was a D11 non-eternal life avatar of the Jehovian Anu Elohim digressed or fallen race collective on eternal original founders redemption contract. So Jeshua 9 was born in Bethlehem in 7 BC to Hyksos mother Mary and husband of Hyksos Joseph of Arathema, uh, uh, Arimathea and Nephilim father Isaiah. So Jeshua 9 was intended as the carrier, the genetic DNA carrier of the Emerald Order Melchizedek Cloister host matrix for the Hyksos Illuminati Anunnaki hybrid races of Earth. Now, the six eternal original founders, Eckars, of that Christ period were intended to reclaim the gold Ark of the Covenant box. Now, the gold Ark of the Covenant box contained the rod and the staff Stargate tools from its burial place in Saqqara, Egypt. All right? So the Ark of the Covenant and the rod of the staff, these had to do with Stargate technologies. The Palladian Niberian races they agreed to return to the Ekar. You know, they, re- they agreed to give back the Ekars. First, CDT plate 11, which, which was stolen by Toth in 22,340 BC. And it was hidden among Hyksos Knights Templar families in Greece during Toth's quote-unquote Hermes period. In fulfillment of the eternal life Christos seating mission, the rod, the staff, CDT plate 11, and shield 11 Stargate tools were to be brought to Q-Site 11 Ireland in 12 AD by the Ekars via the inner earth portals. Now, Q-Site 11 and its corresponding Stargate uh, in England which is known as the 1111 site, this would be manually activated using the Stargate tools to disengage the Niberian Dyotic Crystal Grid and Checkerboard Matrix Grid program that was literally embedded in the 1111 axiotonal ley line via Stonehenge. Okay? So for those of you that are reading Toth's, uh, the Emerald uh, Book of Toth or whatever, Toth stole that information, okay? Toth is not a good guy. He started out as a good guy, but he um, he had Anunnaki uh, gene coding in him, and he became greedy. So just uh, food for thought. Let's continue. Now, if the Palladian, Niburian Anunnaki, and Galactic Federation 
if they had not betrayed the founders between 11 AD to 27 AD when they made counter agreements with the Draconian Anunnaki, the Necromitan Andromi Nephilim races of Nibiru, the six Ekars would have traveled to Q-Site 11 Ireland to disengage the NDC grid in December of 12 AD. This was actually finally accomplished in July of 2001. The three, three of the Christ period Ekars were intended to serve as eternal original founder speakers, offering eternal original founders entry and Melchizedek cloister baptism when and also when where and when needed redemption contracts to the public. Those accepting MC baptism and redemption contracts would have the DNA template activation levels necessary for temporary evac into inner earth, which would be needed for protection from earth changes that would result from the intended 12 AD disengagement of the Niberian dyadic crystal grid. So what happened was in 10 AD, Pleiadian Niberian races of Galactic Federation entered deals with the Marduk, Draman, Anunnaki, Necromitan, and Andromi races controlling Nibiru, and they pulled out, they reneged on their eternal original founders peace agreements. Yes, the Galactic Federation messed up. The six Emerald Order Melchizedek Cloister Ekars were therefore unable to fulfill the second objective of the eternal life Christos seeding mission as the Anunnaki guided their Hyksos Illuminati races to relocate the hiding place in which the stolen source disk plate 11 was kept. Now, without plate 11 shield activator disk, the Eckars could not manually activate Stargate 11 to release the Niberian dyadic crystal grid at Stonehenge. The Galactic Federation also instructed the Hyksos Illuminati to attack the Team Indigo Essenes working with the six Eckars in attempt to steal the Ark of the Covenant gold box and Stargate tools from them. So, the Anunnaki intended to use Plate 11 and the Rod and Staff tools to get this, create pole shift, in hope of preventing activation of the Hyveca codes in Earth Templar during the 2000 AD to 2007 AD stellar activation cycle. So, the Hyksos succeeded only in stealing the staff tool from the arc box so they could not fulfill their intended dominion agenda during the christ period now this whole king arthur drama of 609 a.d was a continuation of this stalemate through which the again incarnate ekars made progress 
in preparing for the 2000 to 2017 uh, stellar activation uh, cycle, eternal life Christos alignment. Now, do you remember the sword Excalibur? The sword Excalibur was the staff tool. Are you with me? Which King Arthur's team Indigo reclaimed from the Hyksos descended Illuminati races. So this is the real King Arthur drama and the real uh, Excalibur was a staff Stargate tool. Uh, it wasn't a sword, okay? The real Christmas story is the story of the Ecotic Trinity of 46 BC to 37 AD and the Emerald Order Melchizedek Cloister Team Indigo and their Ikari avatars and their collective efforts to complete the planetary eternal life Christos seeding mission in order to prepare for Earth's Templar for the final eternal life realignment mission which occurred 2000 to 2017 AD. Next, we're going to talk about the coming of Jeshua 12. So on November 22nd, 12 BC at 12:14 a.m., Judy or Judai gave birth to the male avatar infant in the house of Ben-Yumen on the outskirts of Bethlehem. Sarity, Judy's half-sister by common Roman father Reviticus, and Mary Jedra, Ikari I, Saradai's 22-year-old daughter, they served as the midwives in Jeshua 12's birth. Now, upon the infant's arrival, John the Baptist, who was Ikari I, then uh, he was 33 years old, he was known as the Greek name Ionis. And like I said earlier, with the assistance of the 11-year-old Emmanuel Ikari II, they presided in the initiation rites of the infant's uh, Emerald Order Melchizedek Cloister Conjugate Baptism. On November 22nd, 12 BC, Jonas, John the Baptist, and Emmanuel prepared the infant's body for integration of its Ikari III identity, which would occur one month later in fulfillment of the MC conjugate baptism and regent ordination. Upon his physical uh, Melchizedek cloister or MC initiation, the infant child was named Jeshua the original Jeshua, a name chosen by his father, Johias. Now, this is something uh, you want to uh, take note of. The original ancient Hebrew alphabet of Atlantis, that contained the letter equivalent of J, which was lost in Hebrew tradition when the Omicron Draconian-sponsored Pharisees Illuminati they removed six key letters from the Hebrew alphabet following the 25,500 BC Luciferian Rebellion. Melchizedek Cloister, eternal founders races, 
they retain these letters in their tradition through their open contact with the Iyani priests of Ur from Inner Earth. In original MC records, the Hebrew letter J was frequently used, whereas, and don't shoot the messenger, whereas in compromised ancient Hebrew text, the Hebrew letter corresponding to Y was substituted. Illuminati records refer to Jeshua as Yeshua, etc. Okay, so this is very, very fascinating information. You know, it's so funny because you got the diehard, you know, uh, Jewish people that speak Hebrew, they're all about the Y. Little did they know their why came from Illuminati influence. Are you with me? So originally there was the letter equivalent of J, but this was lost when the Omicron draconian uh, Pharisees uh, removed the six key letters. Now, let's continue. Jeshua and his mother, Judai, remained in hiding at the house of Ben-Yumen on the outskirts of Bethlehem until December 20th, 12 BC, when they made the journey to the house of Johias in Bethlehem City Commons for completion of Jeshua's Melchizedek Cloister Conjugate Baptism on, guess what, December 21st, 12 BC, also known as the Winter Solstice. As is the case in all indigo child types 1 and 2 births, the soul of Ekar ascended master Jeshua embodied into the physical vessel through the process called soul braided walking. Soul braided walking. Now, let's talk about this. The consciousness field of indigo types 1 and 2 oscillates at a too high of a frequency to directly integrate into a physical biological vessel that holds anything less than a natural 12-strand DNA template activation, okay? Indigo children types 1 and 2 incarnate into density 1 earth physicality by entering a limited simultaneous incarnational cycle in various immortal, Iyani, Orophim, human, eternal life, avatar bodies in density two, which is semi-etheric matter, all right? It's semi-etheric matter, Sirius B, Tara, inner Tara, and parallel Tara time cycles, okay? Now, this is density two, but within the density one inner earth time cycle, this is a little different. Simultaneously, the indigo identity enters the standard two 12 cycles. Okay, so it's two cycles of 12 that compromise or that, that make up the 728 simultaneous incarnate identities of an eternal life celestial human avatar within densities one through four of the particle and antiparticle universes 
in our time matrix. I know it sounds like a sci-fi flick, doesn't it? But this is what Indigo Child Soul Braided Walk-Ins are all about. To begin incarnation in density one earth body, where we are, we're in density one, dimensions one, two, and three. The indigo avatar first sends into the new physical vehicle for embryonic integration, the lowest oscillating incarnate soul identity of itself from density two Tara time cycle, that's dimensions four, five, and six, within the particle earth incarnational one to cycle okay embryonic integration of the soul normally takes place between the 33rd to 56th day following conception of the physical zygote embryonic integration cannot occur at conception or before the 33rd day thereafter because the oscillation rate of the energetic frequency that carries the consciousness is just too fast and would literally destroy the scalar energy or scalar wave template of the zygote's matter form and this would result in miscarriages okay this is what miscarriages are all about the higher oscillating consciousness came in and it's just too fast too high oscillating for the denser zygote matter form now in indigo children types one and two births the density to soul from tara integrates into the embryo and remains as the active soul in the body throughout birth until the dna template activates sufficiently so that it can hold faster oscillating orophim iani avatar soul the birth soul remains with the body and the avatar soul remains in d4 through d6 biofield overshadow connected to the body via a partly activated sixth strand dna template unless Early activation of the infant's DNA template is orchestrated by the Eternal Life Iani MC Masters uh, Priests of Ur. Now, when the physical body reaches the chronological age of 12 years, and if the bioenergetic field and DNA template of the incarnate soul remain clear and are not compromised, the incarnating avatar works with its counterparts in inner earth and Sirius B to initiate eternal life avatar integration DNA template activation. When the 12 strand DNA template is initiated into activation via level three MC region ordination, the birth soul and the eternal founders race indigo avatar identities prepare for what's known as a soul braided walk-in okay now this is something similar that happened to myself in 2000 september of 2000 although my my uh let's just say my consciousness 
my birth consciousness, um, it wasn't that it hated it. You know, it, it, it hated my physical body. It just wanted to leave, okay? And it didn't want to be, the consciousness, that birth consciousness didn't want to be in physical body anymore. So what happened was aspects of my avatar came down and actually did the avatar braided walk-in, okay? Now, let's continue. To fulfill a soul braided walk-in, the birth soul consciousness progressively raises an oscillation. So let's just say the 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 consciousness, not necessarily the soul, okay? Because that that uh, it has to raise an oscillation to meet the density to base pulse rhythm. Simultaneously, the D twelve eternal life avatar entity entity that's stationed in density two has to lower their oscillation rhythm, base pulse rhythm to that of density one. Now, this usually occurs over the course of two to seven years, rarely within a 12-day period after region ordination. The birth soul disengages from the lower three strands of the DNA template as usually occurs in biological death, right? So when the lower three strands deactivate, uh, you die. And the consciousness passes into the D4 astral body field awaiting ascension to density two. This would be the normal route. Simultaneously and in, in, and in a synchronistic manner, the inner earth and Sirius B identity aspects of the eternal founder's race avatar transmutes their bodies to density five anti matter primal light, then lower their oscillation to D4 astral base pulse rhythm. In the D4 astral field of the incarnate body, the eternal life avatar braids together its inner earth and Sirius B aspects of consciousness and memory imprint, then begins eternal life avatar embodiment in the physical density one earth body by progressively merging its consciousness within the DNA strand templates one through 12. Now, this is so important and why I talk about when people do plant medicine, okay? When they do plant medicine, this destroys their lower DNA strands and this will prevent that person from braiding with their avatar level unless they have the eternal life DNA coding within their DNA template, okay? Now, um, as these birth soul walks out to the D4 astral field, the avatar identity walks into physical embodiment, releasing the birth consciousness from the body's karmic miasmic imprint released from its karmic miasmic imprint the birth consciousness takes an evolutionary leap accelerating in frequency to merge its consciousness with aspects of its uh, self stationed one lifetime ahead of the original taran incarnation from which 
it entered density one embryonic integration. Now, this is what I'm talking about when we speak of true time traveling, okay? The eternal life avatar uh, uh, identity now integrated with and responsible for the DNA template of the physical density one body, this avatar identity proceeds to clear any remaining miasmic imprint from the body while sequentially sequentially bringing into sustained activation the first DNA strand templates of the indigo genome for full eternal life avatar embodiment. Once the body can hold at least temporarily sustained 12-strand DNA template activation, the avatar will then begin activation of the 24 to 48 strands of its indigo eternal founders race DNA template. If it's specific service commission requires it to do so. This is why I say it's important to anchor in your D12 avatar level in your physical body because then your D12 avatar can do amazing healing, clearing, etc., etc. And it's just an amazing, amazing feeling. All right. We are now going to continue with the soul birth of Jeshua and the three kings. This is known as the Night of the Trinity, winter solstice, December 21st, 12 BC. On the evening of December 20th, 12 BC, Johias left his house in Bethlehem City Commons, and he was traveling to the house of Ben Human on the outskirts of Bethlehem in order to escort Judai and baby Jeshua from their hiding place back to their home in Bethlehem City. The trio traveled through the night by donkey to avoid detection by the Illuminati Pharisees, Sadducees, and the guard of King Herod of Judea, all of whom sought to discover and locate the whereabouts and to kill the new avatar rumored to have been recently born. Johias, Jude, and baby Jeshua arrived safely at the house of Johias before dawn on December 21st, 12 BC. Now, it was necessary for baby Jeshua to be relocated to the house of his father Johias by the evening of December 21st, 12 BC, as this was, be t- this was going to be the night of the Avatar soul birth. Ekar, John the Baptist, and three male Melchizedek Cloister Regent Magi Grail King priests from other lands were scheduled to serve in attendance in completing Jeshua's conjugate baptism. John the Baptist and the three Magi kings were commissioned by the inner earth Iani priests of Ur to initiate the electrical frequency transmission of the MC region ordination for early fulfillment 
of Jeshua's indigo child soul braided walk-in. The three kings, a brown-skinned Ramvita grail king from India, a yellow-skinned Yu grail king from Tibet, and a white-skinned Ceres Egyptian grail king from Saqqara, Egypt, were scheduled to meet John the Baptist at the house of Jehoias, nearest the Bethlehem inner earth portal on the evening of the December 21st, 12 BC, winter solstice. Now, each of the three Magi Grail kings brought with them herbs, minerals, and sacred preparation, preparations as gifts to John the Baptist for use in Jeshua's soul-braided walk-in MC region ordination. The Magi of India brought a special preparation of myrrh, the Tibetan Magi brought frankincense, and the Egyptian Magi brought a highly coveted elixir made from an ancient Atlantean Ceres Egyptian recipe. This was the most coveted and potentially dangerous potion of all because it was made from the collective residue of the transient element celestiline. Now, celestiline, celestiline is the liquid extracted through the skin during activation of what's known as turnstile DNA in the human atomic transmutation process associated with stargate passage, ascension, or incension. In ancient Egypt, the pure celestiline residue was also known as stardust blue or blue powdered gold. Now, it's important to understand, uh, I talked about this in previous podcasts, upon contact with oxygen, liquid celestiline secretes dry to a fine powder, which rapidly breaks down into inert elemental units. Celestiline powder is a natural biochemical byproduct secreted by the body during stargate passage or upon death of the physical body if the consciousness is able to achieve stargate incension out of density one. Pure celestiline powder can be collected in minute amounts by gently dusting the skin after one has passed through a stargate and remanifested on the other side. If uh, it is rapidly collected and specifically stored, pure celestine, celestine powder is a powerful healing agent as it can trigger temporary bursts of 12-strand DNA template activation for anchoring an individual's D12 divine blueprint. Now, celestine powder is only useful for this purpose, if the planetary shields can run D12 Maharic frequency, which has not been the case since 2008 and 216 BC. In rare cases of expedited indigo child soul braided walking intended to commence in infancy, 
a minute amount of ingested pure celestine powder plus tincture applied to the base, crown, and 12th chakras can temporarily trigger a minute burst of 12-strand DNA template activation even if the planet is void of D12 frequency. Now, this effect can only be gained if the powder is collected and preserved from a planetary system capable of running D12 frequency and used rapidly after collection before it loses its core D12 subharmonic electrical charge. In ancient Egypt, impure celestine powder or its aged residue was harvested from corpse or mummies whenever possible. Impure celestine powder, also known as white powder celestine or white powder gold, was used by Illuminati pharaohs to trigger psychic powers by unnatural activation of higher strands in the DNA template. This process led to permanent disability of the lower DNA strands, physical addiction to the substance, and eventual insanity. And this is what happened to Pharaoh Akhenaten. He actually uh, engaged in impure celestine powder, and this drove him insane. As celestine powder derivatives and alchemical concoctions made from elemental gold with the intention of mimicking celestine effects, this is lethal, was lethal, and is still lethal today. And this was widely abused in ancient Egypt, as well as it's still abused today in, in modern times. Now, the eternal founders race, uh, the Iani priests of inner earth, they removed this knowledge and access to the substance from surface earth where we are use of pure celestine powder by grail line mc priest for mc ordinate application was permitted only on rare occasions under direct supervision of the inner earth eternal founders race iani now we're going to go into well we'll just move into uh what happened with Jeshua? The Egyptian Magi, okay? The Egyptian Magi attending the Avatar soul birth of infant Jeshua in 12 BC, he was entrusted to bring the gift of the gold, an elixir of celestine blue powder gold, which was manufactured in inner earth by the Iani priests of Ur. The Iani created the blue powder gold elixir specifically for the purpose of triggering temporary 12-strand DNA template activation to orchestrate the extremely rare event of a 12-day indigo soul braided walk-in for infant Jeshua. Eckhar I, John the Baptist, had received his level 6 Eckhar ordination from the 
eternal founders raised priests on his 33rd birthday, December 21st, 13 BC. And he was taken to the Ark of the Covenant at Giza to transmit the electrical portions of the Tri, Ku, Da, and Ra Vekakos into Earth's Templar. So this is really what our grid keepers commission will will be all about at some point in the future when our dna has been activated to a specific level we are going to transmit portions of our codes our dna codes into the earth uh, stargate templar area and uh, this is what they were doing all the way back in the christ period now john the baptism's ecotic twin her name was mary jedra she fulfilled her Ekar ordination and magnetic VECA code transmission on her 22nd birthday, which is September 1st, 12 BC. Ekar II Emmanuel was to receive his level 6 Ekar ordination and electrical Ikasha code transmission on his coming 12th birthday, January 1st, 11 BC. Emmanuel's Ikatic twin, Ashridari, received her Ekar ordination and fulfilled her magnetic Ikasha code transmission on her second birthday, February 2nd, 12 BC. Like Jeshua, Maharahari, Ekar three, Jeshua's Ikatic twin, received her level three region ordination and by VECA code transmission on July 21st, 13 BC, one month after her birth on June 21st, 13 BC. The December 21st, 12 BC, level three region ordination and sole birth of Avatar Jeshua represented a comp, um, well, let's say it's a completion of the high VECA code circle. The Ekotic Trinity was fully incarnate on earth in order to fulfill the eternal life Christos seeding mission. Now, the three Grail King priests, they didn't follow a star to Bethlehem to find baby Jesus as the legend is falsely told. Each of the three Grail Kings had been earlier approached by an eternal founder's race Iyani priest of Ur from inner earth, and his name was Ma'ahuete. And they were told that their service was needed in Bethlehem on the winter solstice. Ma'a, short from Ma'ahuete, Ma'a, as this uh, eternal founder race Iyani priest is often called, he provided each of the three grail kings with the protected sacred knowledge of the access keys and inner earth portal locations that connected to their specific lands to the inner earth portal of Bethlehem. The three kings later became known as the three wise men within the Anunnaki falsified legends and these three kings, due to their knowledge of Earth's Templar, inner Earth portal locations, 
and the eternal life Christos seeding mission, the three grail kings entered Bethlehem through the inner earth portal after sunset on December 21st, 12 BC, and they proceeded to the nearby house of Jehoias in Bethlehem Commons to fulfill their priestly duties in the region ordination of infant Jeshua. Now, the three kings did not at first realize that their portal entry into Bethlehem had been witnessed by a member of the Sadducee guard. It was Maha whom had emerged from the portal to reset its security access template. It was Maha that discovered the detection. When the Sadducees discovered the presence of the three grail kings in Bethlehem, they would alert Herod of Judea and both would send their legions to hunt down the indigo avatar infant to whom the three kings were prophesied to attend. Ma'a observed the quick return of the several Sadducees uh, guard, guards who were then posted to contain the area at which the three kings were reported to be seen. Now Maha snuck, uh, he snuck past the, the guards undetected and ran under the cloak of night to the house of ben Newman on the outskirts of Bethlehem as the three kings made their way safely to the house of Johias. Maa intended to devise a way by which the kings, the three kings, could escape from Bethlehem after attending to the sole birth of Jeshua before Herod and the Sadducees discovered the location of Jehoias' house where the indigos were hiding. Now, the three grail king priests arrived at the house of Jehoias after nightfall to meet Jeshua and John the Baptist. The process of Jeshua's region ordination was completed by 9.45 p.m. Ma'a reached the house of ben Newman, informing ben Newman of the pending trouble and asking his assistance. ben Newman offered Ma'a his two camels and a donkey to serve as transportation by which the three kings could escape Bethlehem in order to make the journey to the main Jerusalem inner earth portal from which they can return to their homelands, homelands safely from Illuminati interference. Ben Newman's nearly 12-year-old son, Emmanuel, who happened to be Eckhart too, he volunteered to go with Ma'a to take the animals to the home of Johias in Bethlehem Commons. Ma'a and Emmanuel posed the shepherds in search of missing flock. They rode to Bethlehem Commons, bringing the animals to the stable of Johias. They entered the home of Johias around 9.15 p.m., just before Jeshua's region ordination was complete. Now, this was the coming threat that Herod had, you know, uh, prophesied, you know, and they needed to find uh, the baby infant <laughs> uh, Jeshua quick. Now, Ma'a 
planned to send Emmanuel to the stables of the inn on the east side of Bethlehem Commons, the route the kings would take to emerge into the desert night undetected by the Sadducee Illuminati guard. Emmanuel was given a small skin drum by Johias and provided with two different drumbeat coats, one meaning safe passage, the other guard warning. Emmanuel went ahead to the designated stable location to observe the activity of the Sadducee guard when the area near the inn appeared clear of the guards Emmanuel beat one round of the safe passage drumbeat which Ma'a heard waiting at the house of Jehias Ma'a he then led the three grail kings upon the uh, animals through the quiet streets of Bethlehem to the edge of the town in the east. Maha then instructed the kings to ride into the desert by following the brightest star. Now the star that the three kings followed to escape from Bethlehem after tending to Jeshua was actually a Merkaba vehicle plasma ship intentionally positioned by the Maharaji Blue Races of Sirius B. Maha had arranged through his constant telepathic link with the Maharaji for the star of Bethlehem Merkaba plasma ship to appear to direct the Grail Kings to the appropriate desert area. The kings were instructed to wait in the desert for Maha's return the following evening, December 22nd, 12 BC, for escort to the Jerusalem Inner Earth Portal. But Ma'a in the flesh could not return. Now, I'm going to tell you about the Little Drummer Boy story, also known as the Morning of Morning, 12.16 a.m., December 22nd, 12 BC. Ma'a had led the three grail kings to the desert edge on the east of Bethlehem as Emmanuel waited, hiding in the stable by the inn, keeping guard over Ma'a's intended return path. Ma'a was supposed to return to the stable to collect Emmanuel and safely return him to the house of Ben-Human on the outskirts of Bethlehem before dawn. Emmanuel watched the inn road from the shadows of the stable and Ma'a began his return from the desert edge as the three kings followed the star Merkaba plasma ship into the safety of the desert night. Suddenly, Emmanuel heard a group of people coming down the old inn road. He was quick to identify them as the Sadducee guard who had begun door-to-door raids in search of the kings and the avatar infant. If Emmanuel did not warn Maha, Maa would have been caught by the Sadducees as he returned to the stable. In hope of uh, alerting Maa to the pending danger and diverting the Sadducees' attention from the nearby home of Jehias, Emmanuel, hidden in the stable, repeatedly 
beat out the guard warning drum beat upon his small skin drum. Hearing the odd drumming in the middle of the silent night, the Sadducees stopped their raids to trace the beating of the source. The Sadducees descended upon the inn stable just as Maha had returned. Knowing Emmanuel was trapped inside the stable and that his arrest and anticipated torture and interrogation by the Sadducees would bring Herod's suspicion down upon the house of Benjamin and Johias. Ma'a attempted to create a diversion by running and yelling through the street. Ma'a dodged and hid behind the stable and created a diversion running and yelling through the street. But hoping he would be able to get Emmanuel out, he couldn't do it. There were several Sadducees guard, guards posted all around the stable, and they saw Ma'a entering and going into the stable to Emmanuel. Then uh, the entire guard came, and Ma'a and Emmanuel were trapped. They knew they could not allow themselves to be captured by the Sadducees because Emmanuel would be easily identified as the son of Benjamin, and this would endanger all of the Indigo Grail Line families in Bethlehem. Um, they had to try to find an escape. They refused, uh, you know, Ma'a and Emmanuel refused the Sadducees' repeated demands of surrender. And the Sadducees began throwing their torches upon and into the instable. The small stable was quickly surrounded in flames and there was really no escaping for Ma'a and Emmanuel. Ma'a laid 11-year-old Emmanuel in the water trough from which the horses and other animals had drunk and then he laid his own large body on top of him in hopes of protecting the boy from the encroaching flames. Just before Ma'a laid down to cover Emmanuel, Ma'a saw the roof beams of the stable starting to glow red with flame and heard the crackling of the wood beams. And both Ma'a and Emmanuel knew at that moment that a new plan for fulfillment of the eternal life Christos seating mission would need to be initiated. Both knew, Ma'a and Emmanuel, that their physical bodies would perish that pre-dawn morning of December 22nd, 12 BC, and that they would both need to return to complete their part of the sacred mission. So Ma'a and Emmanuel, they left their bodies willingly. They, at will, left their bodies just before the stable roof collapsed to consume their physical bodies within the flame. Both transitioned in peace, knowing that they had at least diverted the Sadducees' immediate attention away from the house of Jehoias, 
leaving time for the infant Jesus or Jeshua to be led to safely, safety. The morning of December 22nd, 12 BC, which is right now, from 12 a.m. to 12 dawn, is known as the morning of morning among the eternal original founders' races in commemoration of the sacrifice of love made by Emmanuel, the little drummer boy, and Ma'a in their protection of Jeshua and commitment to the eternal life Christos seeding mission. The morning of morning rapidly gave way to a celebration of eternal life as December 22nd, 12 BC, became the day of visitations through which the eternal life Christos seeding mission was at least partially completed. Now, we're going to talk about the Shepherd of Light and the Feast of the Golden Wreath, Day of Visitations, Dawn to Dusk, December 22nd, 12 BC. Following the death of their physical bodies in the stable fire, Ma'a and Emmanuel transitioned to the spirit form from which they were most accustomed. The three grail kings, unaware of the tragedy, remained in the desert awaiting Ma'a's return to guide them home through the Jerusalem inner earth portal. News of the stable fire spread throughout Bethlehem, reaching the house of Johias and Ben-Human by dawn. Emmanuel's mother and sister Mary Jedra entered a deep state of mourning, obviously, as did John the Baptist in the house of Johias. From their position in spirit form, and I talk about this all the time, you're still conscious when you leave your physical body, Ma'a and Emmanuel received guidance from the founders to work together in keeping the eternal life Christos seating mission on track. Both were told to engage a series of spirit visitations beginning just after dawn on December 22nd, 12 BC. So here's visitation one. Ma'a and Emmanuel first appeared in physical, tangible spirit form to Emmanuel's sister, Mary Jedra, at the house of Benjamin on the outskirts of Bethlehem. Emmanuel told his grieving sister to mourn no more, that he would return, but for a little while. He told Mary Jedra to bring her mother, Saradai, and father Benjamin to the house of Johias on that evening of December 22nd, 12 BC, but to wait in Bethlehem Commons before going to Johias' house until they heard the special beat of a single drum. Mary Jedra's aging mother could not make the journey by foot, and the family beasts, the animals of travel, you know, they had all been given to the to Ma'a for the three kings on the night before. Emmanuel told Mary Jedra to look into their grazing field, and there she saw a donkey appear in one moment when it hadn't been there one moment before. 
and consider this a small miracle from source provided through the efforts of Ma'a and Emmanuel. Mary Jedra was also given by Emmanuel a set of small branches of golden sage, which is a healing plant grown only in territories of inner earth. She was told to make a wreath of them as if it looked like a golden crown and to give this to, as a gift to baby Jeshua when they arrived at the house of Johias that evening. Mary Jedra and her mother and father began the short journey to the house of Johias at sundown. Visitation 2 After speaking with Mary Jedra on the early morning of December 22, 12 B.C., Emmanuel and Ma'a, in spirit form, next visited the three grail king priests, awaiting Ma'a's return in the desert. Ma'a told them of the stable fire, and they were to stay a while in the desert until the evening, when Ma'a would return to guide them to the Jerusalem inner earth portal. Visitation 3 Ma'a and Emmanuel next appeared in a visitation to John the Baptist at the house of Johias. They told John to have Judai and Johias prepare a feast of celebration for the guests from the house of Ben-Human that would arrive that night. They also told John to prepare Judai to release baby Jesus to safekeeping of the Iani priests who would ensure his safe passage to the Ark of the Covenant at Giza, Egypt, for transmission of his Biveca codes between December 26, 12 BC, and January 2, 11 BC. Emmanuel, in spirit form, handed John the Baptist a physically tangible small skin drum like the one he had played in the stable. He told John to watch the evening sky for the second sign of the star, which would be shown by the Maharaji of Sirius B, when they observed the family of Ben Newman arriving in Bethlehem Commons. When John saw the star, he was to take the little drum to a field not far from the house of Johias and beat out one time the safe passage rhythm to let the family of Ben Newman know that it was safe to come. The family of Ben Newman arrived in Bethlehem Commons nearing 8.15 p.m. on December 22, 12 B.C. As John the Baptist saw the second showing of the star appear and beat out the safe passage drumming, all gathered then at the house of Johias, where Judai and Johias uh, prepared a celebration feast that had been requested though no one yet understood what the celebration was for. After food and wine was shared, all sat gathered around and wondered why they had been assembled. Visitation 4 Infant Jeshua slept safely in his mother Judai's arm when suddenly a pale golden sphere of light appeared to the right side of Judai, startling everyone in the room save Jeshua, who gently awoke from his sleep and smiled. 
the sphere of light stretch vertically to become a pillar of light. And the pillar of light then split into two pillars. As the family watched in wonder, two figures emerged into physical expression from the pillars of light before them. Emmanuel and Ma'a then stood in physical, tangible form encased in the pillars of light, together singing a sacred, holy song. When their song was through, Emmanuel spoke to his mother and sister, comforting their pain at his passing and telling them that he would return in the year 11 AD as the son of John the Baptist. Ma'a then instructed Mary Jedra to place the golden wreath of sage that she had made upon the infant's head. Ma'a then placed his large black hand upon the golden wreath and for a moment the sage branches glowed pale golden silver light sitting as a crown of light upon the infant's head. Can you imagine that? That must have been amazing. And in his touch, Ma'a had transmitted the access security codes to the Ark of the Covenant portal passage at Giza into the DNA template of Jeshua. The codes that would allow him to conduct ascensions through the Ark of the Covenant when he reached adulthood. Emmanuel then told Judah, Judai that she must allow John the Baptist and Mary Jedra to take the infant Jeshua into the desert on the night of December 24th, 12 BC, where he would be taken by eternal founders race Iani priests of Ur and take Jeshua to inner earth. From inner earth, Jeshua would then be taken to the Ark of the Covenant at Giza to transmit his Biveca code into Earth's Templar between December 26, 12 BC and January 2nd, 11 BC. Judai and Johias were told that the eternal founders race Iani must keep Jeshua in inner earth with them until he turned the age of 12. If the child were not to be found and destroyed by the guard of Herod of Judea, Jeshua would be returned to them through John the Baptist in Saqqara, Egypt, when he turned 12 years of age. Judai and Johias understood, but were saddened at the coming loss of their son. Emmanuel then spoke and told them of the child that already lived within the womb of Judai. His name was to be Samuel, the brother of Jeshua, who would come to heal the loss of Jeshua. Ma'a and Emmanuel then dematerialized, instructing the family to burn the golden wreath within the fire to release its frequency into their home to provide temporary protection. The Feast of the Golden Harvest Wreath on the evening of December 22 
became a tradition among the indigo grail line race of Earth since this time. Following the fourth visitation, Ma'a then revisited the three grail kings awaiting him in the desert. Ma'a told them to release their animals, bury their kingly goods, and to tear their clothes like beggars so that they might approach the city of Jerusalem as unassuming beggars. Ma'a again manifesting in tangible physical form taking on the image of an old shepherd, led the disguised kings to the Jerusalem inner earth portal entrance, arriving a bit after dawn on December 23rd, 12 BC. The three kings safely passed to inner earth through the Jerusalem portals and returned to their respective homelands on December 24th, 12 BC, with the commission of committing their knowledge in sacred writings among their cultures. In these writings, Ma'a became known as the Wayshower and the Shepherd of Light, the original Father Christmas, upon which later legends were built. Now, on December 23rd, 12 BC, John the Baptist and his ecotic twin, Mary Jedra, took infant Jeshua into the desert to meet the eternal founder's race, Iani Priest. On December 24th, 12 BC, the ecotic twins were married by the eternal founder's race, Iani Priest, and told to stay two days in the desert for later instruction on december 26 12 bc the eternal founders race iani priests brought infant jeshua to the ark of the covenant at giza where his biveca codes were transmitted into earth's templar between december 26 12 bc and january 2nd 11 bc now also on December 22nd, 12 BC, a group of eternal founders race Iani priests emerged from inner earth to bring the understanding of the eternal life Christos seeding mission to John and Mary Jedra. The priest explained that the Akasha code carried by Emmanuel had not been entered into earth Templar as intended because Emmanuel's body had died prior to his Ekar ordination, originally scheduled for January 1st, 11 BC, which would have been Emmanuel's 12th birthday if he had not been killed in the stable fire on December 22, 12 BC. John and Mary Jedra, each carrying the DNA templates of an Ekar and together representing a full incarnate Ikari, could serve as parents of Emmanuel when he returned to fulfill his part in the eternal life Christos seeding mission. The only problem was that Mary Jedra was infertile and could not conceive a child. The founders, through their Iani spokesman, asked John and Mary Jedra 
if they would make the ultimate sacrifice for just a little while. The great comfort of their love and compassion and companionship of which they had just rendered into full marriage. Unfortunately, Mary Jedra would need to die in the flesh to rapidly be reborn and grow up to, again, marry John, a union through which the rebirth of Ekar II Emmanuel could be complete to fulfill reseeding of the Akasha Code in Earth's Templar. With great sadness, but ultimate devotion to the Eternal Life Crystal Seeding Mission, John and Mary Jedra agreed. John was told to leave Mary Jedra in the desert, and on January 1st, 11 BC, he was to look again for the third and last showing of the Merkaba Star Plasma Ship, which would tell him that Mary Jedra had passed on. December 26th, 12 BC, became known as the Day of Revelation. On January 1st, 11 BC, Mary Jedra left her body to return to spirit form. On January 2nd, 11 BC, Infant Jeshua completed full transmission of the Biveca Eternal Life Crystals Code into Earth Templar and his stay in the Ark of a Co- at the Ark of a Covenant beneath the Great Period of Giza came to an end. Jeshua was taken to, into Inner Earth and raised by Iani priests until he was returned to John the Baptism in Saqqara, Egypt at the age of 12 years old. January 2nd, 11 BC, became known as the Festival of Light, the Night of the Christos Mass, commemorating the return of the Biveca Code and the eternal life potential to earth and its people. This day is considered the high holy day and the true Christmas of the eternal original founders, Indigo Grail Line races. On September 1st, 5 BC, Mary Jedra was born or was reborn to Judai and Benjamin, whom had married following the death of Benjamin's wife, Judai's sister, Saradi. Mary Jedra returned in 5 BC as the albino female child named Miriam, maternal half-sister of Jeshua. This was Ashiana Dean, Miriam. Okay? And this is where we remembered each other as brother and sister because I remember my incarnation as Samuel, brother of Jeshua. And on December 24th, 10 AD, young Miriam was again married to her elder Ecotic twin, John the Baptist, Ionis, in a ceremony performed by her older half-brother, Jeshua. And by the way, John the Baptist, Ionis, was and is my friend, speaker to Asan Michael Dean. On December 21st, 11 AD, Miriam gave birth to John's son, Jeremiah Emmanuel, the return of Ekar Emmanuel and the Akasha Code. The Akasha Code was re-entered into Earth Templar on January 1st, 12 AD, fulfilling one of the two founder 
Founders Race's objective of the Eternal Life Christos Seeding Mission. Between 10 AD and 27 AD, the Niberian Anunnaki and the Galactic Federation broke their eternal original founders' promises to the founders and proceeded to misdirect their Jeshua 9 Anunnaki D11 avatar born 7 BC and their Hyksos Illuminati hybrids into their original Luciferian Covenant One World Order Illuminati Dominion agenda, which culminated in the 27 AD event known as the Essene Divide. But because of the partial success of the Christ period eternal life Christos seeding mission, the high Vecca codes were reset in Earth's Templar to allow for the full fulfillment of the planetary eternal life Christos mission, realignment mission, in our contemporary 2000 AD to 2017 AD stellar activation cycle. The story of the high Vecas is the real story of Christmas, and it is the celebration of the return of Earth's eternal life divine blueprint and humanity's final freedom from the digressed fallen races of the Phantom Matrix. The dates of December 21st, 12 BC through January 2nd, 11 BC, became known as the 12 days of the eternal life Christos Mass, each day representing the activation of the Biveca code within one of the 12-strand DNA templates of infant Jeshua. The 12 days of Christmas culminate in the eternal life Mass Festival of Light of January 2nd. Since the times of the Christ period, the Eternal Life Christos Mass has been the celebration of the Eternal Life Awakening that was long scheduled to take place on January 2nd, 2002 AD, when the Biveca Code would reach critical mass and begin its activation cycle in Earth's Templar. This initiated the fulfillment of the Planetary Eternal Life Christos Realignment Mission that was intended to complete on December 21st, 2012 AD. Now, we know, and you know that on December 21st, 2012 AD, that was when the aquifering shield completely split. And that became a failed mission. Now, we have until 2047 to 2052 to actually evac as many people as possible from this black hole fall Milky Way galaxy in order to continue our eternal life Christos mission in M31 Andromeda galaxy. Now, I'm trusting that, you know, I know this was long, but I'm trusting that you go back and you re-listen to this and you got and you received from it what I did, which was immense peace and gratitude and love 
for knowing and remembering who I am, where I came from, and what I was planned here to do. So I trust that this would do the same for you. So this is it for this version of the real Christmas story, nine to ten years later. Don't know when I'm going to do this again, but I want to thank everyone for listening and have a wonderful and safe holiday. And hopefully we uh, tune in to our next podcast, which will take place, I believe, January 12th. Okay. So until then, source bless. And remember, truth is stranger than fiction. But wouldn't you want to live your life in truth than a lie? Take care. See you next time.